0: Life Church it's great to be here today from the Brookfield campus and want to say hi to Germantown, our online campus. Can we give a big welcome to all of our campuses? I hope that you hear that arousing applause. That's uh, Pastor Dylan saying that Brookfield is the best campus. Ryan, I'll let you and him. There we go. So speaking of a little competition between campuses, it's gonna be on the screen here as I'm talking about it. But Father's Day weekend, we've got a special thing on Friday night that we want all the men to come out to be a part of. And if you me I don't you can bring high schoolers, it doesn't matter, come on out. But it's gonna be at 6 30 on Friday night. I think it's June 17th, is that correct? It's gonna be at the Germantown campus. All the campuses are gonna to come together and we're doing a thing called fight night. Now we're not having a cage match, although I guess we could. Uh, or an MMA fight this time. But what we're going to do is we're going to come together and uh, we're going to, as, as on that Father's Day weekend, we're going to have food and uh, and uh, Cokes and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and we're going we're to basically kind of have a service of sorts. We're going to do a little bit of worship and we're going to have a, um, I've got a guest speaker from Sheffield Assembly of God in uh, Kansas City, George Westlake. George pastors a great church there, has for many, many, many years, a multicultural church in downtown Kansas City. He's going to come, just for that Friday night, and uh, he's going to talk about this whole subject of fight night, but some of the fun stuff we're going to do ahead of time, which you're going to be a part of, is a little bit of competition between some of the campuses, and so we've got a mechanical bull, yes, yeah, yippee-ki-yay, so see how long you stay on that one, uh, we've got axe throwing, we've got some, some golf stuff, but we're also going to do a power uh, lifting contest between every campus, not campus pastors. But campuses. And so uh, it's actually a bench press contest. And it was kind of funny because we brought this up with the campus pastors in the meeting. And Dan from Appleton says, I think this should be like a competition between campuses. To which I'm thinking, Dan, how much have you been lifting? And Robert's like, yep, it's on. And so I don't know what's going But there's a representative, I think, from every campus that's going to be doing this. And because, I mean, like, if I, if I bench press, like, 175, 180 in the morning, I, like, feel really great about myself. These guys, Robert's like, he's got to start at 220, 225. That's what we'll, we'll warm up at that. I'm like, warm up? I will, like... What? So anyhow, so I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe Dan's the power lifter that we never knew. I don't know, but that's going to be happening. There's going to be prizes. We're going to be giving all kinds of stuff. But again, I hope you'll be there for that night. And so we'll find out what the best campus is. And so Brookfield campus, you can make sure that uh, you're well represented here with uh, your power lifter, Pastor Dylan. So anyhow, Um and uh, so, so today, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Judges chapter 3. Judges chapter 3. I also want to give a great shout out to last weekend's uh, speaker, my favorite preacher, speaker of all, Tammy Cole. She did a phenomenal job and uh, just did a great job. She loves that level of attention. I'm just going to tell you right now, so she, if you know her at all, she's eating that up. And, uh, and then also, man, our students, Life, uh, the, uh, the Life Church youth students that were raising money for $10,000 a day for missions yesterday. There was a crew at my house, um, and I think, Grace, you're here on the second row at Brookfield, and so uh, TCU, right? Right, so that you're, you're a freshman, you're going back this fall, so from Texas Christian University down in Fort Worth. And then, Maddie, Maddie, you're going to Auburn? I'm so sorry. So SEC, I'm a hog fan. So anyhow, so but uh, good to have you girls back this summer and all of our college kids back and everybody that's here and and doing what they're doing and students and all that good stuff. So great time, great time. And uh, okay, I've got my, oh, one more announcement. And Germantown, just please indulge me. This, This room looks great here at the Brookfield campus and Germantown or online, if you've not been to Brookfield campus, I would encourage you to do so. But we've been working on some things that hopefully we'll be able to unpack in the next several weeks But, um, and I'm probably, Ryan right now is cringing because I'm kind of over, I'm over, over, over playing my skis here on this one. But, um, uh, but, but the, uh, we've been working with architects to what's going to be happening to this facility and it's amazing. So if we can pull off what we think we can pull off with the kids space, with some of the, the uh, complete renovation of the rest of the facilities that will happen inside and outside, some of the, the spaces that we're going to do outside the facility, inside the facility, how things are going to be done. And again, we're not doing a capital campaign. It's all of your generosity, your tithing, your giving. That's how we do it because of all of your, your incredible generosity in that, in that direction. So uh, it's exciting times at Brookfield. Amen. Yeah. And, uh, and so good things are ahead, so it is great to be here, and I can't wait for the next several months that we'll be able to unpack this stuff, and hopefully within, uh, I don't know, maybe it'll take us 90 days to get that, I'm just teasing, so I'm saying that for Ryan's benefit. We're in a brand new series called Stories They Didn't Teach You in Sunday School. Now, if you grew up in Sunday school at all, and there were these little, like, final graphs, you know what I'm saying? Like the little pictures and they put, you guys know what I'm talking about? There was a felt board and they have those characters and they put them up there in Vacation Bible School, whatever. Uh, so these, they don't make flannel grass for the, what we're going to talk about these next couple of weeks. Some of this is obscure. Uh, some of it is, is a little bit probably more graphic than what you want. We're not going to go crazy, so don't worry about that. Although I do say that every every weekend service is PG-13. So if you've got kids in here that are below that, you just may want to be aware of that because, again, you may have as Lucy, you may have some explaining to do on the way home. So, But in this series, we're going to kind of look at a few of these unusual examples of how God works through unlikely circumstances and people. And uh, the Bible talks of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. You don't have to go there. But Paul says this. These things happen to them. Talking about the people in the Old Testament. As examples and were written down as warnings for us. So the truth of the matter is, is that when you look at the Old Testament, it's historical data, yes, but it's also life lessons for us. And so today I want to look at a person that I think would be very, what we kind of call an unlikely hero. And, and before I give you his name and I jump into Judges chapter three, I want to ask you a question that I want you to kind of oscillate on of next couple of moments. Here's the question. Why? Okay, so how, I want to say it this way. I would do X, if you fill in the blank, for God if it weren't for whatever. I would do this great thing for God, but I can't because what is it the thing that God's putting your heart to do what is it the thing that God's put in your heart to be? What is the thing that God's put there deep in your heart but you feel unqualified to because of maybe who you are or where you're from or, or how you were raised or maybe it's a mistake that you made or a sin that you commit or something that's happened in your past or a struggle that you have. I, I, I would do this great thing for God but I can't because, what is that? I just want you to think about that today as we look at a guy named Ehud. I don't know if you've ever heard of a sermon about a guy named Ehud. I don't think I've ever preached on Ehud. Matter of fact, when we were kind of walking through some of the stories that we were going to be looking at, one of the things that hit me was I remember as a kid hearing evangelist preach about Ehud because this was the title of his message, Ehud and the Fat Man. I never forgot it, Ehud and the Fat Man. I don't remember what he said. That's all I remember was Ehud and the Fat Man. But Ehud is an unlikely hero. That God used to deliver Israel. So Ehud is the second judge of Israel. So judges, there was about 15 of them in the Old Testament. They come after Moses leads Israel out of bondage and captivity of Egypt. Through the desert to the promised land. And then Israel, the tribes of Israel settle in the promised land. But how many of you know, even if you're in the promised land, there's still problems. You still have issues. You still have enemies. You still have adversaries, right? Because... Fairness ended in the garden. And so life is not fair, life is not easy, things happen. And so they're dealing with the Amorites. And and the and the Pezerites and the and, and and the Moabites and the Philistines and the termites and every kind of it that there is right they're dealing with all of these people and Israel really didn't stay together connected uh, they they kind of had their own every every tribe had its own area think of it like a state like there were eleven states and you said there's twelve tribes but 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 the priestly tribe the tribe of Levi did not have a earthly inheritance as priests. So they were there amongst the people, and they, they didn't own property in that way. And so the 11 tribes were all kind of there, but they weren't connected. They were, they were very loosely connected, but they didn't consolidate their power in order to protect themselves until they got into trouble. And so they were constantly being overtaken by different groups. And at this particular time, there's been 40 years of disobedience, and the Moabites have taken them over, and, and Israel begins to cry out to God. And in that, God began to raise up Ehud. So I'm gonna give you three statements, three life lessons that we learned from this very unlikely character, probably you didn't hear about in Sunday school or in vacation Bible school. First statement is that God specializes in using unlikely people. God specializes in using unlikely people. If you're taking notes, just write that down. God specializes in using unlikely people. So the background of Israel, it's this very unhealthy pattern. Probably not unlike our own sometimes. They would disobey God. So Judges chapter 3 verse 7 talks about their disobedience. And then they would turn from him and serve other gods. Do their own thing, their own way. And finally they would turn back to God. They would cry out for help. Judges chapter 3 verse 15 talks about this. And then God would answer their cry. It's this pattern that happens over and over and over. They disobey, they turn from God, they fall into false worship and false idols and other, they allow other, other outside influences to influence them and then they get themselves into a position to where they're oppressed and they've been occupied by another people group and they become slaves to those people and slaves to the very things in which they invited in and then they cry out to God, they turn from their wicked ways and God hears them and God answers them and God sends a deliverer. As, as as Judges 3 we'll talk about, and this particular time it's Ehud. He's the second of the fifteen judges that would be during this period. Now, Judges chapter three verse fifteen says it this: Then the Lord, excuse me, then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjaminite, a left-handed man. And the people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it to his right thigh under his clothes, and he presented the tribute to Eglon the king of Moab. And now Eglon was a very fat man. That's what it says right there. Very fat man. Let's just stop for just a minute. How would you like, I mean, your name's in the Bible. That's pretty cool, right? The best-selling book of all times. Whether you believe it or you don't, it's still sold more copies than any book ever in human history. And when your name is given, it's Very Fat Man. I, I just, it's not good for your ego. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's just not one of those things you'd want. Maybe you like that. I don't know. But I, I, I don't, I, I, I wouldn't want that. But, but this is what it is. And Eglin's weight is, is, is included, probably not to be mean, but just to kind of give you a juxtaposition between how he was living fat and, and high, on the uh, on the, the fat of the land and Israel was under oppression. It just gives you this juxtaposition between the, the, the oppression of Israel and how they're starving and how Eglon and the Moabites are living high on the hog, so to speak. And it also says that Ehud, Ehud was left-handed. Now, Again, if you're left-handed, you, you may be able to identify with this. If you do, I did some, some research on some of this, and left-handed people kind of say they are some of the most prejudiced people against in anywhere in the world, because everything is built for right-handed people. Scissors, ATM machines, desks, everything, it feels like, uh, 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 you know, a 10 key for a county. Everything is made, you have to kind of adjust yourself in that direction. Now, don't send me an email. I'm right-handed, but my dad's left-handed, my father-in-law's left-handed, my eldest is left-handed handed so I don't have anything against left-handed people but in this day and time left-handedness would have been considered a disability it would have considered an an impairment it would have been considered something not to be desired because again in that culture you would have eaten with your right hand your right hand was the favorite hand and then you can imagine what you do with your left hand you can figure that out later on your own but that's what would happen again these are stories they didn't teach you in Sunday school there's a reason why okay I'm in third grade, you know. What now, why is that? Okay, anyhow, so Okay, I, I hope I hope Germantown, I hope you're with me a little bit more than, than Brookfield. I think I lost them on the left-handed deal. So the, the truth of the matter is, is it would not have been something that would have been a strength, it would have been a weakness. Um, some scholars say that he was bound in his right hand, which would have meant the right hand might have been completely impaired in a point of like he was he was immobile. It was like a dead limb in essence. So he could not have use of it. Or it could have just been that he was left-handed. We don't know. It also says that he's a Benjaminite, which is also interesting. Because Benjaminites were, of all of the, of the 12 tribes of Judah, they were the most vicious of warriors. They were the warriors of the warriors. And here's the reason why. Because they were known to be left-handed disnaturally. But because of that, they learned to be ambidextrous. Therefore, they could wield swords equally in both hands. They could, they, they could destroy. When David goes into war, he brings 700 Benjaminites with him. Why? Because they were the best of the best. So there is a little bit of part of this that's kind of interesting that's like on that whole part of it. That, that, that this is who, uh, who Ehud is. Anyhow, he has this perceived disability, which would not have been perceived as a strength. and would not have been conceived or perceived as a deliverer or someone who would have led Egypt, excuse me, Israel out of the bondage that they're in. But this isn't uncommon in scripture. When you look at this, this is how God works. What's uncommon for man typically is common for God. I mean, David, he's a shepherd boy and he's used to fight a giant that no one else is willing to fight and he kills him. Moses is an exiled, murdering, stuttering individual with a speech impediment that's used to speak for God and to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt. Peter, he is a defunct fallen leader, uh, disciple who was at the very top of the top of the mountain transfiguration and then completely falls away from everything when he turns, on, uh, turns against Jesus during the crucifixion. But yet God uses him to be the leader of the New Testament church. Paul. One of the only people noted in the New Testament, given by name, that was a killer of Christians, a murderer of Christians, a persecutor of the church, one of the only ones named, God uses to write most of the New Testament. And even Jesus. God sends him as a humble carpenter, not as a political figure or as a king. Here's the thing. The very thing that might seem like a weakness to you may be the exact thing that God qualifies you to be used by him. The very thing that seems like a weakness to you might be the exact thing that God qualifies and uses to be used by him. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 26 says this, for you consider, for consider your calling brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what was low and despised in the world and even the things that are not to bring to, bring to nothing the things that are so that no human being might be able to boast in the presence of God. God specializes in using the most unlikely of people. Second statement. When God uses unlikely people, God alone gets the glory. When God uses unlikely people, this is why he does it, God alone gets the glory. God's choice in using you is not about you. It's never been about you. and never will be about you. It's about the glory that it comes to him. It's about the God that's inside of you. Look back at verse, chapter, Judges chapter three, verse 20. And Ehud came to him, Eglon, the Moabite, the very fat man, right? And as he was sitting alone in the cool roof chamber, it was cool because he, okay, anyhow. and, And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. And Ehud reached in with his left hand and took the sword from his right thigh. That's important, I'm gonna come back to that in a minute. And thrust it into his belly. And the hilt also went in after the blade and the fat closed over the blade. Just think about that when you're having lunch today, okay? Again, this, there's, they don't make flannel grass for this. And, and he, did, he did not pull the sword out of his belly, but the dung came out. Again, another conversation for another day. And, and then Ehud went out of the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. And when he had gone, the servants came and they saw the, do- the doors were locked. And they thought, surely he is relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. He's on the other throne, Okay. It's right, it's right there. Don't email me. It's right there. Verse 25. And they waited till they were embarrassed. But when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key, they opened them, and they laid there. And, and there lay the Lord dead on the floor. Unlikely. God uses unlikely people, so He alone gets the glory. This left-handed Ehud, this left-handed disabled, could not be used to be a deliverer because of his own disability actually is what gave him the ability to do what God called him to do. Right. See, so the Bible says that the sword was double-edged. It was about 18 cubits. So this, this is, I got this when I was in Africa on a trip uh, in the Masamara. And so it's an actual real, double bladed. I mean, it's, I almost cut myself opening it in the office the other day when I was pulling it out. And this, is, this is 18 inches. This is, this is about the size of what, what he would have done. What's interesting is, is that when the Moabites would have taken over the Israelites, they would have completely confiscated every single weapon. So the fact that he has a weapon on him at all is interesting. And then a t- double-edged sword is even more interesting because it's, it's more complex to be able to do and to, and to produce and, and so forth and so on. So that's interesting. But then the Bible says a right-handed person like myself, if I have this, i got to be careful I don't cut my hand off if I have this I'm going to strap it to my left side so that I'm able to pull it out and use it I'm not doing that real fast because I, I, I'm, 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 I'm clumsy enough I, I really will cut myself so anyhow so he'll do, do that the, the, the truth of the matter is is that because he's left-handed it goes to his right side of his cloak it's the right side of his body it's on his right thigh the Bible says so when he goes in before the guards and they frisk him down they're never looking at his right side because no one is left-handed, has the ability to go before the king because he's disabled, he's, he's impaired, he, he's not to, surely, there, there, there's no other leader that's that, that's going to come in that's left-handed. This, this would have been a disability. He, and, and especially if, if his right hand really was, indeed, it was bound, if that, if that truly means that, that it was immobile, he had not the ability to do it, he, he had a true disability. They would have never, so they would have never, they would have checked the left side because that's what right-handed people would have had it, but they never checked the right side. So he's able to bring that. So the very thing that keeps, uh, that allows Ehud to be able to do what God called him to do A right-handed person probably wouldn't have the ability to do. The very thing that everybody else views as a disability actually becomes the ability, actually becomes the thing that God in turn uses. The very weakness that everybody else kind of discards is actually where God says, that's who I can use. That's where I can use him. And so he comes in and he he has ability not because of his disability, excuse me, not because of his own ability, but because of the disability that he has. And because Eglon is killed in secret, the victory would not be given to Ehud, but would be given to God alone. Because he kills him no one knows what happens and all of the sudden when he leaves locks the door behind him when they come in to check when his guard when 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 Eglund's guard comes in to check on him and they find that he's dead on the ground how did this happen and as you read on the rest of the chapter it gives Israel the ability to be able to go on and to be able to win and to be able to overtake the Moabites and be able to gain their freedom back and Graham Lott's the daughter of Billy Graham said it this way, our ultimate aim in life is not to be healthy, wealthy, prosperous, or problem-free. Our ultimate aim in life is to bring glory to God. And I wonder how many times, let's go back to that question that I asked you. I would do this great thing for God, but I can't because. What is the thing that keeps you from doing what God's put in your heart to do? What is the thing that, that maybe it's someone else that says, well, you can't do that. You you can't be that. You're, you're not smart enough to do that. You're not strong enough to do that. You don't have the ability to do that. You'll never be able to. What is that? Maybe it's somebody else has said something. Maybe someone else has done something. Maybe it's conventional wisdom around you. Whatever it may be, but it's that very thing that you go, This is my disability. This is my impairment. This is my weakness. This is my sin. This is my whatever. It's the very thing that God uses to overcome the enemy to do exactly what he's called you to do. And how many times do we not do because we listen to other people or we listen to the enemy of our own soul and we kind of marginalize what it is. I would do this great thing for God, whatever that is, but I can't because and I allow that impairment, that weakness, that disability to keep me. Third statement, God uses unlikely people. When God uses unlikely people, it inspires others to victory. When God uses unlikely people, it inspires other to, others to victory. Look at verse 26, 27, 28, 29. And Ehud escaped while they, while they delayed, and he passed beyond the idols. And when he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country. And he was their leader. And he said to them, follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hands. And so they went down after him. And they seized the fords of Jordan against the Moabites and did not allow anyone to pass. And they killed at that time 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men. Not a man escaped. Again, they don't make a flanograph for 10,000 dead bodies. <laughs> and aren't you glad that your third grader didn't see that? See, the truth of the matter is, is that God uses unlikely people. It inspires other people to victory. The victory is not about you. The victory is not about you. The victory is about what God wants to do through you. The, the victory is, is, is inspirational to other people, about other people. It's not about your wins. It's not about your success. It's not about your accomplishments. It's about God wants to do that through you in order to inspire, in order to lead, in order to do what he wants to do through everybody else. Verse 30 said, so Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel and the, and the land had rest for 80 years. It wasn't just for Ehud's benefit. But it was a generation after him and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren would live in, 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 in peace for 80 years until there would be another adversary, the Philistines, that would come and and the next, and the next um, judge, Shamgar, would, would, would emerge. But for 80 years, for the rest of his life, there would be peace because he went and did what God told him to do and didn't rely on his disability, didn't, didn't allow his, his weakness to marginalize him, but, but, but did what God put in his heart to do. And, and I go back to that question, what is your excuse? What is your limitation? What is your disability? What is it? Give it a name, call it. You have to tell me, but what is that thing that keeps you from being whatever it is that God's called you to do? What is that thing that keeps you from being where God's called you to be or how he's called you to respond? I mean, like, you know, and, 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 well, I, I would, I can't do this because you just don't understand, Aaron. I I don't come from a family that does that. You, you don't understand. I, I, I can't accomplish this because this is beyond what anybody, I can't do this because people say it can't happen. You know, I, I, I'm just at a place where, again, I'm not going to turn to 1st Aaron chapter 1, verse 1 and tell you what I think according to my own gospel. Maybe I will. But I'm just kind of like up to here in, in the world in which we're living in. Because I just look at people and go, how much of this are you marginalized by? How much of this in our world, in our society that says you can't do this and you can't be this and you can't do this? How many voices do you allow to kind of push you out and push you away? Like, like for instance, like I, 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 get, I get the world that we're living in. But like COVID, right? So, so coronavirus. How many times, and I'm not suggesting that you go lick doorknobs and that kind of a deal, but, but I mean, try to navigate this life without catching a virus of some, some sort. Okay. But <laughs> the, the truth of the matter is, is that in Christ Jesus, and again, none of us, there are restaurants I want to eat at and golf courses I want to play. So I'm not, I'm not trying to die. This isn't a death wish. But in Christ, Paul says, man, you can't kill a dead man. That's what, that's what gave Paul the power to go do what he did. Because I'm already dead. I've already given my life to Christ. My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. Therefore, I will live my life as unto the Lord. So, you can't destroy me. You can't stop me. You, you know, in the words of the great, great theologian MC Hammer, you, you can't touch this. At the end of the day, this is unstoppable. But how many times we go? Well, man, you can't do this because of this. You can't do this. You can't do this. And, do this. and, and I, I'm, I'm in the staff meeting, and I'll hear, hear hear members of our of our staff from one of the campuses or all the campuses say, "Man, we 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 need more workers at the after school program in Milwaukee." You, you do you do realize that that is that's boiling over? Like that's that's doing great to the point of we're almost having to put a lid on the number of kids that can come to the after school program in the Milwaukee campus right now. We, why we need more workers? Would you give of your afternoon? Would you give of your afternoon? Would you give of your afternoon? That's what that's what I need. Well, I, I can't because. Oh, really? It's tough. I get it. Uh, again, we're at. It, it. First, Aaron, chapter one, verse one. We'll get to verse two in a second. But 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 it's just but 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 I can't because but but this is what's or or we 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 need we need people working at the parking lot. We we, we need people working in Life Kids Early Elementary or early childhood or, or youth or we need this or we need that. Where where well you know and and maybe you're watching online and you just need to put your cup of coffee down and, 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 and go take a shower and just get back to church. because, because well, man, you just don't understand. There's this COVID, there's this coronavirus. I understand, but here's what I know. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And I'm not going to do anything stupid. But at the same time, I am not going to allow the world and things around me to hold back and pull me back from what God's called me to do. (laughs) Amen. The phrase, fear not, is in scripture more than any other phrase. Jesus used it more commonly than any other any other phrase that He used. Why? Because it's our natural inclination to fear. And Jesus came not to give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So I should walk in power and love and of a sound mind. And every time I began to walk in fear, that's at the enemy of my soul. That's not from heaven. Fear. Well, I can't do this. Fear. Well, I'm not good enough. Fear. Well, if they ever find out. Fear. Of if, no, 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 no. Greater he that's in me than he that's... So, so I, I'm going to go and do what God's called me to do. What is that that God's called you to do? I, I mean, like, like I, I'm just telling you, my, my whole life, I, I, I have been this way. If you tell me we can't do something, it's kind of like, hey, just get a Diet Coke and a bag of Funyuns and watch it happen. There's coming a day, listen to me, there's coming a day where this room is going to be so full that there won't be a place for you to sit. You, mark my words, I'm talking at the Brookfield campus. You go, I see empty seats. Yeah, yeah, you see them now. And I hope you enjoy your space because it's gonna be gone before long. And then, and, and then we're gonna have to go to two services and three services. There's gonna be a day that's going to happen. And you go, but but I, Aaron, you just don't understand. No, I know that Milwaukee's the toughest place I've ever lived in my life. I know that when I came here, I had people tell me what you are trying to do will never work. They will never buy it. You need to go back to Oklahoma. I sat across the table from pastors and leaders telling me you pack your stuff up. It will never work here. People will don't want this here. I sat across from people and said, why is it so difficult? D.L. Moody, Moody Bible Institute, down, uh, Bible College, downtown Chicago just a couple of blocks away from Michigan Avenue, from the Magnificent Mile, D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, said Milwaukee was the graveyard of evangelists. The only place that Billy Graham could not pack a stadium was in Milwaukee. Do you know that? Right here in our own city at the Old County Stadium. Why? Because we are so inoculated with the gospel. Because I was baptized here, I was christened here, my family's here. But the question that separates everybody is, are you a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? Whoa, let's don't get crazy because I don't go to church on Sunday. I just, I just have fire insurance to save my butt out of hell. That's what I have. No, 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 no. I'm talking about, are you walking with Jesus and talking with Jesus? Are you in his word? Are you doing what he's asking you to do? That separates everybody. And here's what I'm saying to you. I think it's high time in the world that we live in that we engage. We don't retreat. We don't surrender. We take the sword, whether it's with the right hand or with the left hand, and we go and do what God's called us to do. And we go into the chambers that God's called us to go into. And we, go and do what he's asked us to do I'm at verse three of first Aaron chapter one, First, I just look around and just go wow we got a chance to change our world we can do this we have the ability to do what generations before us may not have had the opportunity to be able to do We've had, we have had we the opportunity to be able to see a harvest maybe where they couldn't because they were having to prepare the ground before we could sow the ground. You ever think about that? You ever talk to an, Am- an Amish farmer? They'll tell you that they go into a field without any heavy equipment and without any motorized equipment and they'll see and they'll say this is where the ground's going to be for the farm but there's trees and there's rocks and there's, yep, and we're gonna get mules and we're gonna get plows and we're gonna knock these trees down and axes and we're gonna... We're, we're going to remove the trees. And it will take years. And then we're going to go through a season of picking up the rocks. We're going to pick up the rocks. But we're still working, but you're not seeing any fruit. Before we ever begin to plow the ground. And then when all the debris and all the trees and all the rocks and all the obstacles, all the excuses of why you can't, all the left-handed disabilities are gone, then we'll begin to plant. And we'll trust God with the harvest. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, that we're standing on the on the the shoulders of people that have gone on before us that have pointed to this is where the, where the farm's going to be, where the field's going to be. Maybe, just maybe, that there's been trees that have had to be uprooted and moved out, and they've taken a little longer, and some are a little bit more deeply rooted than others. Woo, I'm preaching way better than you're shouting, <laughs> especially in this room. Maybe there's there's rocks and boulders that have had to have been broken up and removed and removed and removed. And people have said they'll never do anything. They'll never do anything. They'll never do anything. Listen to me. I'm telling you. I'm right, right in your kitchen. Germantown, just hang with me. And, 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 and here's the deal. It, it's right there. But God has done that. And God has done that. And now there's been a season of removing all the debris. And now we're looking at a cleared field. What can we do with that? Oh, let's plow it. Yeah. Let's plow it, baby. Let's work while the day is, while, while the sun's still up. Let's plow the ground. Let's plant the seed, which is God's word. And let's let the Holy Spirit bring, bring that dew of heaven and just fir- take that, ter- take that, that seed that, that is germinating and that brings forth and, and let life come back. Let life be there. Let life be there. Let life spring forth and let it produce life and a harvest and a harvest and a harvest. And generations later may never understand what it took to get here, but God does. God does and that's all that matters because God isn't interested And you and I getting glory. God's not interested in us getting the victory. It's all about him. It's all about him. So what's your excuse today? What's keeping you from doing what God's called you to do? I'm old. Are you still living? call of God is without repentance. It never lifts. If you still have breath in your body, God has a plan of purpose. Well, I'm young. And your excuse is? I mean, all the way through, man, middle school, high school. It wasn't until I hit college that I hit my growth spurt in my freshman year of college. I was five foot six and 130 pounds. I'm 6'1. I weighed in about good 218 this morning. And I was overlooked, 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 overlooked. Don't, don't let anyone despise your youth. Paul says to Timothy, but be an example in word and deed in the conversation. When you open your mouth, you're intelligent, and, and, there, and the words and the, the blessings of God is upon them. What is it God's called you to do? And it may not be that He's called you to something in, in the ministry field vocationally. It may be that He's called you to the marketplace. Maybe He's called you to, to do whatever. That's great, because the Bible says whatever your hand finds to do, do it under the Lord. Whatever the sword is that He's called you to, to pick up, pick up. And I'm using that metaphorically. I'm not. I'm not advocating that we all pick up swords today, amen? But I'm just saying like, but, but whatever that, that is, that's what we do. What is it that God's called you to do? Don't let there be anything that's an excuse. Well, you don't understand. No, here's what I understand, is that God wants to do exceedingly and abundantly above all you and I can think or ask. God wants to open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon us. So great we don't have room enough to contain it. And I am so tired of hearing people talk about, well, it's cold. Well, it's the weather. Well, when I get to retire, I'm gonna leave here. No, no, this is where God's called us. See, I I wasn't raised in an area where people left. No one left, not not because you didn't want to leave, but because you didn't have any money to leave. Understand people, I, I never knew pastors that retired until I moved to Wisconsin because you just had to preach because you, you you didn't do enough, you didn't have enough. And so you just preached and you preached and you preached until they, well, until they knocked you over until you died and then and then they'd do a service for you and then they'd eat fried chicken and cry and then they'd get the next guy in. That's kind of what happened, right? And then and, and so, but, but no, 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 God's called us to something. God's called us here. I want you to catch that. God's called us here. And, and here's what I want you to understand is that he wants to use you. He wants to use you, Brookfield. He wants to use you, Germantown. He wants to use you, Life Church. He wants to use us. But we gotta be willing to pick up the sword. What is it that God's called you to do? What is it that you would do for God? But you said, but I can't because. Forget. I'm telling you. Give it to Him. Give it to Him today. All right, I'm done. Father, I just thank you today for your word. Holy Spirit, I just thank you for your anointing. And I thank you for the Old Testament it's more than just a historical document but oh god it is a it shows us that you can use any of us if the world looks at looks at us as being disabled if the world looks at us as being maimed or impaired you don't you see us as fearfully and wonderfully made you knit us together in our mother's womb you knew Even though it blows our circuits that you can work through even our weaknesses. Even our faults, our failures, even our sin. What the enemy tries to use to destroy us, you turn around and use it for our good. Even when we are unfaithful, you are faithful. So God, today I just pray, speak to our hearts. Maybe there are people here today that just need to give their life to you. Maybe there are people here today that go, you know what, I, I just... I need to go try what God's called me to do. Maybe there's people that are here today that need to sign up and be a part of, a, of, uh, of volunteering on a campus. Maybe there are people that need to step out and trust you with their time, their talent, and their treasure. I don't know. Maybe it's just getting beyond the failures of the past, the limitations, the weakness. The, the conventional wisdom that says this can't happen because, oh Lord, I pray in your name, that you help us. Speak to our hearts today, Holy Spirit. Let us respond to you. But let us not live in a land of excuses. Let us not blame our inability to do something on something that everybody else says it can't be done. Let us not let the talking heads in our world keep us from that which you've called us to. We are your church. We are your people. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And you, you have loved us. You have saved us. You have redeemed us. Not to live some meager, lowly, get through this world life, but to be more than conquerors, this side of eternity and forevermore. Help us to live up to that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.